Thanks, Highland, very much. His whole family's here watching him today. So, <clears throat> hey, they say when you get up, you have to speak someplace where you haven't spoken before. The first thing you're supposed to do is think about something easy to say right away. I don't know if you've had that speech 101 class. But I thought of something really easy to say. <clears throat> I'm not Pastor Steve. <laughs> In fact, according to our tech wizard, Peter, we should have a satellite through technology beaming up here to see if we can see how Pastor Steve's doing fishing. Uh, you want to turn on CNN here? Oh, it's already on. Okay. <laughs> Pastor Steve, can you hear us? Wave. Peter, we got something going on here? Steve, we might have a few audio difficulties right now. Tell you, if we get that hooked up back, we'll let you know, and we'll, we'll break in wherever I'm at here. Just give me the sign, and we'll break right back in to see if we can get an audio of Steve. You don't see, maybe, you don't see his other boys, but they're there with him. And that, that's where Pastor Steve is. I know he's, he's done the Daisy Show before, but I think he's taken the time off. As you know, he is someone who's an avid fisherman, and he really does appreciate taking this week off and by the grace of this church, we allow him to go every fishing opener. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, thank you, Carol. I didn't even know what a fishing opener was until I moved to Minnesota myself. <clears throat> it was a couple weeks ago, actually, that Pastor Steve said to me, Stan, why don't you go ahead and do a little favor for me? You know how he always puts your arms around you when he wants something? <laughs> and he said to me, God loves you, and... I've got a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> I said, sure, Steve, that'd be no problem. I've only got about eight uh, training sessions that I have to do between now and then. This was 10 days ago. I'll be traveling for four days, and I haven't taught any of the classes at all that I was teaching these last couple weeks, but I'll do it for you anyways. <clears throat> it does give me a good opportunity to say who I am, because I know a lot of you don't know who I am. My name is Stan Oster, and I am a elder here at Hope Community. I've been with Hope Community for really since its inception. Pastor Steve, the first time I heard these words was about nine years ago when we were in a Sunday school class. It was a young marriage class. Now we're kind of an old marriage class. But uh, he put his arm around me back nine years ago as well. And he said, Stan, God loves you. And I have a wonderful plan for your life. And then he told me about Hope Community. And myself, along with 14 other adults and a scattering of children, came along to the Oak Street church, and that's where we worship for the first seven years, and then we've been really blessed to be here uh, at a new building to be able to worship where we can all really worship in one uh, building, so we're really grateful for that. So that's kind of a little bit who I am. Um, I've been an elder, actually, for six of the eight years. I took two years off, and now I've been on for the last two years, and Steve really wants you to hear just some of the different elders and their perspective, and what drives them, what their passions are. So I really wanted to talk today about the heart is the biggest thing that I wanted to speak about. But before I get there, I know you might be thinking, good night, he does look like Pastor Steve, though. How could he not be Pastor Steve? And I do have some of the motions down, you know, that <laughs> Pastor Steve does here. And there really, are, there really are a lot of similarities between Steve and I. You know what they say? I'm not married to him, but you know how they say when you, when you hang out with somebody, you start looking like the person a little bit more and more? Well, we've got a few crazy ways to be able to show you up here that Steve and I came up with that show the ways in which we are similar. Before, when this is over, you're going to think maybe that guy is Pastor Steve. All right, here's the creative juices that we had. Number one, the first one is... 
Our names start with the first same two letters. Number two, we were both born in 1964. Where were you in 1964, huh? <clears throat> that makes us both 40 years old, almost, for Pastor Steve. I think his is in June. So, <clears throat> number three, kind of coordinating a little bit with 1964, that means we all went to high school and didn't skip a grade. We both graduated in 1982. <clears throat> a lot of smart things going on here, isn't it? Number four, and this is where it gets really kind of eerie. We both married Carol's. Huh, huh, huh? Now that's a little weird. And it gets a little better even now. We both have three kids. And, uh -huh, uh -huh. Starting to see the old belly grow and the hair starting to thin out. Huh? 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 <clears throat> and actually, our kids are really relatively the same age as well. So that's that. And we really enjoy the times that we have with them. Number, what are we at here? Six? Number six, ooh, don't like those Packers, neither one of us here. Steve actually loathes the Packers. He wrote that piece. I'm actually not even a Vikings fan, so. <clears throat> and then finally, number seven, neither one of us, our favorite animal is a cat, so. <laughs> that was Steve's last one there. So you can really see there really are a lot of different ways that Steve and I, or similar ways, that Steve and I are very, very similar. So if you're starting to check off into the Bahamas, and you check back in, you might be thinking every once in a while, maybe that is Steve up there. <clears throat> the other thing I was taught whenever you're about to speak somewhere else is that you should lead off with prayer. So before I really get into the service here, I'd like to start uh, with the words prayer and have God's leading in with us. Father, I am um, humbled and grateful that you've given me an opportunity just to be able to speak from your word. And I know, I know that this is about you. I know this is about your word. I know this is about a people who love you and want to hear what you have to say to them. I know that this is you speaking through me. In some ways, I feel like the prophet Jeremiah where you just told him to open up his mouth, don't worry about it, and I will put words into you. And so that's all I want to be here, God, is just an empty vessel to be able to proclaim your word and to be able to say that I love you publicly, to be able to say what's on my heart, and to be able to just appreciate the fact that I can attend a church like Hope Community that values the relationship with you, that appreciates you, and that desires above all else to have a passionate life lived out solely for you. We just ask now, Father, um, on my heart as well as Levania and Suress, that you will be close to them, that you will uh, be, their, be their comfort in their time of need, and um, just help us to be a community that surrounds them. In your name, amen. Okay, well, we are going to be taking a week, obviously, off from the book of Acts. Uh, and Oh, I should mention one other thing. A little typo here. We will not be here till 2 o'clock. It says, the beautiful, wonderful, treacherous heart, Proverbs 23 to 27. That's a lot of chapters, isn't it? 
It's actually 4, chapter 4, 23, verse 23 through 27. So that'll shorten it up by a few hours. <clears throat> we are taking a break from our study of the book of Acts, and I believe actually it'd be fair to say that in some small way, this is actually a continuation of the book of Acts. Because really, if you think about the book of Acts, it really is uh, a central theme of that book, the heart, and all the rages and all the power that go along with that heart. I mean, we'll be checking out next week Ananias and Sapphira and how their heart kind of did them a double play, right? And Steve, when he ended last week about that treacherous uh, journey that the apostles were on and that dangerous prayer that they made, you know, I checked out the very next verse, chapter 4, verse 32, and Steve stopped in 31, and the very next verse in 32 said that the apostles were now, all the believers, I should say, were all one in heart and mind. And that's what today is about. Today is about the heart and what makes it so crazy and different within us. And we felt that tug so often in our own lives. Now, sometimes when you think of the heart, especially for you science students here, you might be thinking of the anatomical heart. Where is that anatomical heart? The anatomical heart is really that thing that just keeps the blood pumping, right? Maybe before you're about to give some kind of a speech or maybe before you've had to do something that you hadn't done previously before, you know that that heart's there. In fact, it's such a central piece to who we are physically. I mean, you can do without a kidney, can't you? You can do without a spleen and who needs that appendix or who even knows what it's for, right? But if your heart goes, you're pushing up daisies. There is no tomorrow after the heart goes. So it really is a central theme to who we are physically. Now some of you, if you think about the heart, didn't think about anatomically. You thought about love. You thought about amore, right? That's my best friend, or Italian there. Some of you thought about passion and romance. And let me just give you a little bit of a story about me, who I am passionately. <clears throat> is that the other slide up there? The Amore slide? We still, have the, uh, we still have the physical heart there. We're looking for the Amore heart here. I'll just keep moving along here. Let me, let me, let me fill in a little bit of time here with this one. This is, these are true pickup lines that I used with my wife. Talk about love. I saw my wife for the very first time in 1986 at Bodine, I don't know if there's any, any Bethel people here at all? No? Oh, we got a couple. <clears throat> They're ringers, I brought them in though. <laughs> I met her at Bodine Hall and I remember saying to her, oh, by the way, singles out there, take note here. Here's my first pickup line. If I could rearrange the alphabet, I'd put you and I together. If you like that one, here's my next one. Here's my next one. I would look at her quizzically. I would look at her gazefully in her eyes, and I would say, is your dad a thief? And she'd say to me, what are you talking about? And he's not a thief. And I'd say to her, then how did he take the sparkle out of the stars and put him into your eyes? Wow. Is that going to work? Or is that not? There, there's, our, there's me and Carol. There we go. Well, just like the heart is central to our physical bodies, the heart is also central to our emotional well-being. We know that firsthand. For the rest of our time, though, I really want to speak of the heart as central to our spiritual well-being, because that's really 
also what it's about. In fact, I got a quote here from Joe Stoll out of Chicago, and he describes the heart this way. The heart is used in scripture as the most comprehensive term for the authentic person. It is the part of being where we desire, deliberate, and decide. It has been described as the place of consciousness and decisive spiritual activity. The comprehensive term for a person as a whole, her feelings, desires, passions, thoughts, understanding and will, and the center of a person. The place to which God turns. And that's the definition when I talk about the heart that I'll be referring to over and over again from here on out. That's the definition I want us to focus in on. It really is the central being to the core of who we are. Physically, emotionally, spiritual. Spiritually, it is. It makes us get up with giddy and it makes us down with depression at the same time. <clears throat> that's why really the title of this sermon is really the wonderful, treacherous heart. There's three reasons why I chose this one. You know, this sermon that I'm talking about here today, number one is because I'm a father and because I speak from the heart of a father and I feel and I think and I relate as a father and I want Matthias, Lindsay, and Erica, above all else, to hear their father's heart in a lot of ways. I want them to be able to, above all else, guard their heart. And more than not, just like I want everyone else, I don't want you to give up that precious pearl, especially for something that's as superficial as peer pressure. The heart is really where the mind goes, and where the mind goes and where the heart goes, so goes the body. <clears throat> and I have lots of examples moving on through here to talk about that. And the biggest example that I have is God's word. We have a great story. That's the second reason. I love a good story, and we got a good one today. We've got a father-son journey for you. It's a great journey, but it's also a treacherous journey. It's a journey where two guys understand the ups and downs of their heart and how they can pay, pay havoc, really havoc, on their lives. And it can destroy their relationships for the rest of their lives. So that's story number two. They know, above all else, that the heart's deceptive. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says that the heart is a deceit, deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? Number three, I know that only God can tame the heart. With man, things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And I know that some of us here struggle more so with this issue than others. Some, God gives them grace right away, and whatever it is that their heart might be struggling with, it seems to be over in a flash. I know that that's happened. Others of us ask God over and over again, what's up? This is one that I've been trying to work on for a long time, and my heart continues to deceive me. So... So that's point number three is we're going to talk about is that God literally can and will help us. His grace is sufficient. So in each one of us need to hold on to that hope till the end of our lives. There is no tomorrow, is there? Really, we need to hang on every single day for what it's worth. So let's go ahead and get right into the verse that starts off our father and son story. I don't have a handout, so I'm going to be working right now through Proverbs 4, again, 23 through 27. Above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make a level path for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Now many of you know that the person who wrote that, that, that whole book actually is King Solomon. And he's the son part of our journey today. He's the son of King David. 
By all rights, Solomon should not even be born. His mother and his father was an illicit affair. Many mornings, many afternoons, when the armies of Israel were out in battle, his dad was hanging out back at home, wasn't he? In his heart was deserting him at that point, wasn't it? And he was checking out Bathsheba, and he saw something that he wanted, and he went for it. Point number one, his heart deceived him and lied to him, and he took something that wasn't his. In fact, what happened was, is that David's heart betrayed him so much that he not only had an affair, he killed the woman's husband to cover up her pregnancy. And from there, he didn't even get what he did, did he? he his heart hardened in there as well. And it wasn't until the prophet Nathan came and confronted him that he even had his heart broken at that point. Well, what was the tragedy there? The impact of David's family was immediate and swift and horrible. Consequences of rape, murder, and the battle of David's life never left him from that point forward. If anyone knows the consequences of a deceived heart, it's King David. And if there's anybody that wants to set a son straight, it's King David. He knows what it's like to have the battle of a heart, lose it, and gain it back. So he wants to tell Solomon, with all of his heart, watch your heart, buddy. So this is really, I don't know if you thought about this, but Proverbs 4 is actually Solomon pondering and thinking back and remembering a lot of what his dad said. And I get that really from the first few verses of chapter 4. First, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, says it like this. Listen, my son, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. And this is Solomon remembering now. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender and an only child of my mother, he taught me. So when we get to verse 23 through 27, it is Solomon remembering these are the words of my father. He's remembering the wise counsel of David. So my first admonition is moms and dads here, and I include moms as well, is don't ever overlook the words that you say to your children. They remember them well into their old age. That's something that I have to continue to remind myself. As a mother and a father, your words are like pearls to your children's ears. They will remember them as they get older. It doesn't seem like it at the moment when they're staring off into left field and they look like they're really checked out in the Bahamas, but I believe that God's using your words to be able to grow them up. So, <clears throat> Solomon, King David says, son, above all else, guard your heart. Above women, above the military might that you have, and above all the wealth that you have. Solomon, son, listen up here, pay attention. Guard your heart. And again, I picture Solomon writing at his desk, remembering these stories by the Spirit of God and instructions from his father. Undoubtedly, he remembered the stories of great battles his father had won. I didn't think about that, right? I'm sure Solomon got the stories of the slaying of Goliath, his love for Jonathan, the trials that his dad went through with King Saul, even David's coronation, and other stories, such as when God first anointed Solomon's father, as king of Israel when he was a shepherd boy in Grandpa Jesse's house when all his uncles were dished, right? Solomon probably heard it like this, 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him, talking about Solomon's uncles. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Looking over the heart is God's business, isn't it? 
I'm sure that there were incredibly powerful words for King Solomon, especially the words of a dying father. We've got a few different verses here that really kind of take us back a little bit to the relationship of King David and his son Saul. And dad's perk ears up here, because what we're about to read now are words of a father on his deathbed that he wants to mention to his son. These are powerful words in scripture. 1 Kings 2, 1 through 4. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I am about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, show yourself a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. This is what a man is. Walk in his ways and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and requirements as written in the law of Moses, so that you may prosper in all you do and whatever you do, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all of their hearts and souls, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. And again, in 1 Chronicles 28, 9, Solomon, I'm sure as he's reading Proverbs 4, remember this. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholeheartedness, devotion, and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. And before our story is over, Solomon is going to experience both the high and the low. Those words that we just read are words that I very much want to come out of my mouth for my kids at those times of moment. <clears throat> so those are great words from a father. Now let's fast forward a little story here to when David, King David's died now and Solomon's taken the throne. I don't know if you know, but Solomon was a kid when he took the throne of Israel. He was just a young buck. And he's remembering his dad. And God comes to Solomon in a dream. And this one is from 1 Kings 3, 5 through 10. And it's not on PowerPoint, so I'm just going to go ahead and read this to you. But this is a powerful uh, memory for Solomon. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, Ask for whatever you want, me, and I'll give it to you. Now that's a blank check, isn't it? Who said there's no prosperity theology, huh? Ask, ask of me, name it and claim it, right? God, as far as I know, only gave that little speech to Solomon. Name it and claim it. And the first thing that comes out of Solomon's mouth, you've shown great kindness to your servant, my father, David, but I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people that you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So here's his request now. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased with what Solomon requested. That is a cool request from God. <clears throat> Solomon understands that it's God who's on the throne. The Israelites are really God's, and he is kind of just like Jeremiah, isn't he? He's just supposed to open his mouth and let God fill it up with the words. He knows that he's the empty vessel. He's got his priorities and his role straight, doesn't he? I might be the king, but the only reason I'm here right now is because God put me here. And that's the role in life that we have to be able to look at here when we look at Solomon. 
He totally get it. He's got everything in place, right? God grants his wish that he wants, or his request. not a wish when you talk to God, right? It's a request, and he gets it. He becomes the most wise person in a whole land. Money out the gazoo. Horses and military beyond anyone else. He has been inherited from his father, a solid, united Israel. And it is powerful. And he's a little buck. And he gets it right now. There's going to be a time, though, moving forward, where Solomon kind of forgets a little bit about that. But right now, he gets it, and life is good. In fact, we at Hope Community, we've had experiences like that, haven't we? We've had opportunities and times when God has been real to a lot of us individually and corporately. We've had awesome experiences of prayer and worship. We've had the mighty hand of God move us from a rented building to a free place. I mean, there were times when our relationship with God was rock solid, and we believed wholeheartedly that our faith was right there, and peace was in our relationship. And we've had experiences like that. And Solomon's right in that moment right now. We can feel those times. But we also say, well, right after that time, though, later on that afternoon, I've also had some other experiences. We've also been at those mountaintops, and we pledged our passion and allegiance to God. And then all of a sudden, we've left that mountaintop, and we've had experiences where we have been deceived by our heart as well. So we've felt both lows and highs. Solomon knows what you're going through here. Let's fast forward 20 years in our story here. Solomon's been around for a while. He's no longer a young buck. He's had some experience in the lot. A lot of people are thinking he's pretty cool. In fact, uh, kings and queens from all over the world are coming to him because he's so wise. You remember the story, right, where two prostitutes come and they've got children, or well, a prostitute and a mother, and they're going to... Um, arguing over that one baby, and Solomon says, take out my sword, I'm going to slash that baby in two. And he just about whacks it, and one of the ladies says, stop, right? And Solomon gives the mom, uh, the, ba the, mom the baby to the right mom. He's a wise guy. People were blown away at his wisdom. So he's been doing this for 20 years now. He likes it a lot, too. He likes it. Who wouldn't like all that? He forgets his role, though. His pride takes over, and he doesn't continue. He doesn't continue to diligently live the life. He doesn't continually take his own words, guard your heart, and put them into practice. And that's something that we can all relate to. I've said wonderful words from God's word, and then I break the exact words that I say. It's kind of a weird topsy-turvy life that we lead, but that's the heart, isn't it? One day you're up, one day you're down. Oftentimes we're told that you're a loser. There's lots of ways that our heart takes us down and yet brings us up. So here's Solomon's story. Fast forward to 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. God cares about your heart very much, more even than you do. Nevertheless, Solomon felt held fast to them in love. He had, oh my goodness, can you listen to this, guys? 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. Duh. <laughs> 700 to 1,000 women tugging at you, and he's only one guy? Nobody could withstand that pressure. 
As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, as his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God, as the heart of David, his father, had been. He followed Asheroth, the goddess of Sidians, and Melech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place of for Shermash, the detestable god of Moab, and for Melech, the detestable god of the Anamites. He did the same for all his foreign wives, who burned incense and offered sacrifice to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your heart or your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. What hope is there for Solomon's heart, for our heart for that matter? If Solomon couldn't hang on to his heart, what makes us think that we can hang on to even our heart? What really hope is there for a lot of us? And a lot of you have got that in your mind. My heart goes back and forth. I go wishy-washy. I mean, Solomon had it all, and yet he choked, didn't he? He choked even having two direct encounters with God. He choked even, have, even after having been given wisdom from on God and God telling him, I like your request. I'm pleased with you. He wrote the whole book of Proverbs. And if you've been through the book of Proverbs, you know there's a lot of admonitions, isn't there, about the heart and about who to hang out with, who your buddies should be, who your wives should be, for that matter. I mean, he even spells out Proverbs 31. And yet he's hanging out with a thousand other women. Did he not hear his own words? He wrote Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes is powerful. It talks about a whole bunch of stuff like, what else is there in life? What's life really about? I mean, when it boils right down to it, life is only about God. And those are his words. And he also wrote about an awesome, romantic, passionate, experience with his wife, Song of Solomon. And he knew what it was like to have an intimate, loving, open relationship with a woman. And so he had all those things, and yet still his heart deceived him for some reason. I mean, he had abundant wealth, a mighty army, and he had pleasures beyond his dream. And that just might be the problem right there, right? Because he also had a heart that couldn't take it told him it wasn't enough. He wanted more. He wanted to be popular and to be liked. He wanted everybody to see how smart he was and check out all his wives and how beautiful they were and look how mighty his army was. Who could take me down? Well, we know our heart can be very similar to that. It may not be that, that same experience, but it's deceived us in the past and it will deceive us in the future. It will. I'm no prophet. The Apostle Paul, really in one of his most vulnerable moments, I think anyways, in his, uh, in his letters, he stated the deceitful heart like this in Romans chapter 7. He said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But the things I hate, I do those stuff. And so he got it right away. He was right along with us right there when we were struggling in our heart. He understands it. So when you're thinking no one gets it, you go back to Romans chapter 7 and you read Paul and read it passionately. He gets it 
that the things he doesn't want to do, he does, and the things he hates, he does. Jesus understands it as well, doesn't he? Mark 7, 20-22, Jesus says, What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of man's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Our hearts are treacherous, and they will deceive us if we're not comfortable with them, if we're not aware of them, being known what they are. Above all else, guard your heart. There is hope, though, and that's the third point of this point here, of this story. There is hope. And really, to go that, we need to go back to Solomon, who we started out with in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 23. Let me read it again. These are the words of Solomon, who didn't take his own advice, but let's heed him for him. Above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. When the well goes bad, right? Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk from your eyes, or from your lips. Let your eyes look straight forward. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. And there are three commands here that I really want to take us to. The first one starts in verse 24. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talks from your lips. Why the mouth first? Because you start to believe what you say about yourself. You're transformed by the words you speak, aren't you? You say it, you become it. My younger brother is a great example of this. His speech is spiteful, revengeful, and so full of hate and bitterness that he has convinced himself of his own foolish talk. He's convinced that everything that has happened to him is because of everybody else. Note to self there. Whenever you start thinking it's everybody else's fault, start looking inwardly. This has literally driven him to a hospital bed. He called me Monday night. I was traveling. He called me. I didn't get the cell phone, but the words were specifically, hey, where are you, man? You're hard to get a hold of. You don't call me back. I'm committing suicide. I call him back a day later, and his wife picks up the phone, and it turns out that that night he decided to take a little trip down a railroad track. Two railroad tracks going simultaneously together, if you've seen those. Uh, he lays down on a railroad track. And he says, because I did talk to him on Wednesday now, in the hospital bed, he says that I picked the wrong track. The train went on the other one. He says it just happened that way. He doesn't have spiritual insight. This is a road that I'm able to take with him now. It's not a mistake that that train was on the other side, buddy. So... That was my Wednesday evening talking to my brother in a hospital bed, sounding very, very down. <clears throat> Talk about the words and how they affect you. Strong example of how they have just nailed this guy further and further and further down until he really believes that there's nothing good in him and there's no purpose in life. And he continues to talk that way. And it's a vicious cycle that he can't get out of. The second command is from verse 25, and it's for the eyes. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. We literally see or scan thousands of images daily, probably millions as we get the internet moving on here further. Violence, sex, greed, 
They're always before us and they're vying for our hearts. Why else, if this weren't true and nobody got it, why else would a company spend a million bucks or two million dollars for a 30-second commercial? How else can you explain that the pornography industry brings in more money than all other entertainment businesses combined if it weren't for the fact that your eyes can deceive you or your heart can deceive you through your eyes? If your eyes are truly the windows of the soul, is it any wonder Satan wants to attack us through what we see? You must do what you can to fix your eyes, Hope Community, on what you need to fix your eyes on. Is it the TV that stumbles you, that trips you up? Well, then you need to get rid of that TV. Do you need to turn commercials off? Do you need to get rid of the internet or a book, a romantic novel? Find out what you've got to do and replace it. Because above all else, we need to guard our hearts. And that's exactly what God says. He's not fooling when he wrote through Solomon, above all else, guard your heart. It is a precious stone, and we can't take it for granted when God gives us those wonderful garden glimpses, right? Those opportunities when we are passionately pursuing him. We can't, we got to label those for what they are, right? They're gifts. Those are gifts to us. And when we don't have them, we need to hold fast. There are times when God does not give us that gift of straight seeing. That's when we need to believe his word. That's what his word's there for. Finally, verse 26 and 27, the command is to make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. This is about being diligent and always being on your guard because we can't think for a moment that we can flirt with temptation because when you flirt with temptation, you're flirting with temptation with a heart that wants to flirt with temptation. And there's the downfall right there, isn't it? <clears throat> Might be just an innocent coworker, classmate that means well for you, and before you know it, turns out to be disastrous for your marriage or your purity. You didn't mean for it to happen, but we really are on war mentality here with guarding our heart. It has to be a way of life, even if others think you're a prude. Don't play games with the grace of God. If your godly conscience tells you to get out of there, then you, have to, you better believe it. I know for a fact, because this is the way it is in my life, that any time that I'm flirting with disaster, I'm also told that this is wrong. Solomon asked for a heart that says, help me to know the difference between right and wrong. And every single time that that happens to us, every time, without doubt, without failure, you have an escape route if you want it. You might say, wait a second there, bubby boy. Huh? Bubby boy there? <laughs> I've heard all this before. I've heard it before. I've diligently tried to keep away from that which wrecks havoc on my heart, and I have failed and failed again, and I've asked God over and over again to take that away from me, and it has not happened. Well, my response is twofold. One, my personal story, and number two, there's still one more clip up there that we need to show. Let me, I don't need notes for this piece. This is God's story, and how it works through my life. I grew up with a father who didn't grow up with a father. His father dished him when he was two years old. Took off, who knows where he went. My dad grew up with 
two very spiteful and mean women, his mother and his grandmother. Who can blame him, right? You get married, your husband leaves you, and they're ticked off. We got it, my dad's an only child. And they did things that I still can't believe. I mean, for example, one of the things, one of the milder things, is they made him sit in corners, you know, on his knees, facing the corner. And just to make it a little more interesting, they put rice down on the floor before he had to kneel. And those are the kind of things that he had to go through a little bit. So my dad grows up in that kind of an environment. And, you know, he grows older. And this is, by the way, just outside of Pittsburgh. And he grows older. And by the time he's 31, he's got five kids. And he's got a father that just calls him out of the blue 29 years later. And talk about the passionate pursuit to find your father. My dad takes his whole family, and I'm only six weeks old at this time. He takes us all out to a road trip, and actually a permanent road trip, to California. That's where I grew up my whole life, pretty much, in Los Angeles. Azusa, California, just outside of Los Angeles anyways. And then my dad goes out there because he wants to meet his father. Well, he went out there. He got a job that he hated. He was a city bus driver. Every single day he would tell me how much he hates his, his uh, job. Things didn't work out with patching up with his father. I mean, I would see my granddad come over a little bit, and they'd, you know, rah, 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 rah. And then, you know, and then they, we'd split. I didn't see too much of him because in those days, what we had to do, kids really were not seen or heard. Get out. Here's a bag of potato chips caught in the backyard. That's what we had to do whenever my grandfather came over. So they would wrestle, and, you know, say, rah, rah, rah. and then all of a sudden he'd leave, and, you know, how was the experience? Rah, 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 rah. So my dad uh, didn't wasn't able to patch things up with his father. He hates his job. He has no relational skills whatsoever. And he's got seven kids to feed. I'm sorry, six kids to feed and a wife. And so what do you do when you've got all those pressures on you? You've got a house payment and you've got six kids and you have a father that you really are still ticked off at. What do you do when you don't have God? Well, you try to numb it anyways, don't you? My dad numbed it through alcohol. And I'm telling you, lots of alcohol. I didn't know that Jack Daniels came in gallon jugs. But it does. And Budweiser mixed in with it and a little bit of bitterness and anger stirred up and you got a lot of violence in your house. And my dad was a violent guy all the time. And how did I deal with it? I just said, whatever. If there was a big argument or a big fight, what I did was I just said, uh, let's just smooth it over right now. Next morning, it was as if nothing ever happened. He was off his hangover and moving along. Well, I mean, now you've got my mom in on the deal here, too. And how does she deal with an ogre? She goes to numb her pain, too, right? My mom's not an angry alcoholic, though. She's a weepy alcoholic. She's a depressed alcoholic. So whenever she gets drinking a lot, all of a sudden, she just kind of mopes and whines. And you know, she's a loser. And you, know, you get that kind of language going on along. She hangs out in her bathrobe and, you know, all hours of the day, drinking from 7 in the morning till I go to bed anyways. She also, which really kind of made me see a little bit when I was younger, is she would put the beer in tomato juice so it kind of looked like it was tomato juice. And we're thinking, Mom, how stupid do you think we are? Your, your eyes are half cocked and you're kind of shaking. You think we don't see that stuff? It'd be better if you just said I'm an alcoholic. I mean, you know, be truthful in that kind of stuff. You got two parents. They're both alcoholics. and You got six kids who are dying for affection, right? Stir that up with a little bitterness and anger, and what do you get? You get a house full of pornography. You get a house that not only uses drugs, but sells drugs. I mean, Carol's experienced it. My wife, Carol, she's seen this. We literally are sitting on the couch with my mom watching our nightly version of Wheel of Fortune. And by the way, my 
living room was kind of like the curtains were shut and the smoke was puffy and uh, beer was everywhere. It was kind of like a bar scene, practically. We're watching the Wheel of Fortune, watching Ovana do her thing. And in come these guys. They're just, hey, dude, what's up? And they walk back to the back bedroom. And about a minute or two later, all of a sudden, they're done hanging out with my brother. Short friendship there. They walk back out through the living room. My mom's standing right there, sitting right there. Catch you later, dude. Yeah, I'll bet we will. And off he goes. <clears throat> Where's my dad during all this? Now, this is real interesting. We had a trailer in my front yard in the driveway. My dad hooks up cable and moves out there. So my mom's living on the couch in her night robe all the time, and my dad's out in the trailer hanging out there. Kind of embarrassing at times, isn't it, if you've ever grown up with alcoholic parents? I mean, who would bring their friends into their living room in that kind of a situation? My mom in her robe, and then oftentimes my dad, to be honest. I mean, I'm out there, and this is California. We don't have a whole lot of open green fields here. So we play a lot of our baseball in the street. The only time there's timeouts is when a car comes by. We're playing a ball game, and all of a sudden the ball rolls up into our grass. I mean, I'm even in the game here. My dad comes out of the old, uh, out of his uh, trailer. Who put that ball? in our yard, you blankety blank 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 kids, and I'm like going, hello, it's me, your son, I have this yard too, right? And all my friends are hearing it, but thankfully, thankfully they get it, you know, and they know that's my dad, and so they just kind of brush it off, and they don't really, they make me feel good, so I appreciate that a lot. So those are some kind of the mean, nasty experiences that I had growing up. Now what's all this got to do? Because there's some impact, isn't there, on the people and the kids that live in a household like that? A lot. Fortunate for me, without me even praying for it, really. I have to be honest with you. I did not pray for this. God put me in sports. He kept me out of my house for at least three, four hours a day. I didn't ask for that. That was an out. He kept me away from a lot of that pornography. I don't know why. He just did. I never took drugs in my life to this day. I have not taken drugs. I don't know why. I have no clue for that. When I was a high schooler, uh, my older sister, who was flirting at that time with Christianity, brought me to a, uh, a beach volleyball church kind of gathering. And I saw for the first time something that I had never seen before. I saw kids my age having a good time and playing and not swearing and kicking it up and being really competitive, but they really enjoyed hanging out with each other. You don't know how important your wonderful, friendly gatherings at parks and picnics can be for somebody. It changed my life. <clears throat> Even though I knew all of this and had the impact of that on my life, uh, I had to get out of my household. I had to leave. At 18, I took off and joined the Navy, became a medical corpsman, had some good experiences there. Didn't go too far, just went down to San Diego and Long Beach. But it was enough to get out. I had to get out of that environment. I don't know what put it inside my head, but I even said, even as a young child, I said, this cannot be real. This cannot be the way a father and a mother act. I will not be that way when I get older. I will be able to say, without a doubt, that uh, I love my wife and I love my kids, and I will mean that. I will not be like my father. And I was not a Christian at that time. God, for some unforsakable, ununderstood un reason, he did that for me. And this is just my God story. I don't know why he did that, but I'm so thankful that he did. He took me out. He put me in the Navy. He got me a clear head. He got me going more so to a church. I mean, when you're a Christian and you come to be a ch Christian by yourself, you ever had that experience? I walked down, there was a, my parents were going to take me to church. I walked down, down the street and uh, went to a, I remember it was a 
It was a covenant church. And really, nothing wrong with the covenant church, but this covenant church, I'm, you know, I'm a teenager. I'm 16, 17 year olds, and all they have is a bunch of older people. And to me, at that time, 30 was older. So, I mean, I, I didn't have anybody to hang out with, really, that was a Christian. So I leave off in the Navy, and there's great spiritual nourishment there. No tattoos, either. After the Navy, after the Navy, nothing wrong with tattoos, by the way. <clears throat> after the Navy, I took off and went to Bethel College. I heard about Bethel College just informally by a man in a, just happened to be a father of a girl I was dating out in California. He said, go to Bethel. I went there. And I come from a real non-Christian family. And I go to Bethel. It was the salve that I needed. I was able to experience Christian community for the first time ever. And it was good. So for some of us, Bethel College is a great place to be. A great place. What's the impact of a household like that? My mom, smoking cigarettes since she was 16 years old, died of lung cancer and a broken heart at the age of 57 in 1994. My dad, to the exact day, died one year later. Massive stroke, heart attack in his own front yard in 1995. Currently, my two sisters, I have, I have three brothers and two sisters. Currently, both of my sisters are homeless right now and are moving from friend to friend for shelter. My oldest sister has two, two kids. My younger, well, they're both older, but my second younger of the two, she has three kids. Both of them have been taken away from them by custody, the law. And to this day, bitter, bitter, bitter people. My younger brother, which I've already mentioned, is suicidal. He's jobless. He's struggling with alcohol, bitterness, and anger, just like my father. My two older brothers, between, between the two of them, have actually five divorces. One lives in a rented-out room. He's doing odd jobs, finding out where he can, drinking quite a bit again. They don't get it, do they? They don't see, for some reason, the pain that they brought, brought on by their father, and now they're doing the exact same thing. He's also, by the way, estranged from his three kids. And then there's me. Been in Minnesota for 17 years now. Thought I was only going to be gone for three. Talked to my wife about where we were living on our honeymoon. <laughs> that was the end of the honeymoon for a while. <clears throat> Obviously, she won. Or I could say I won, right? I came from that same household, full of rage and anger. <clears throat> and you know what? I'm not bitter about my upbringing. I've checked my heart. There is not one ounce of bitterness, and I can't explain why right now. I'm actually grateful. I don't see the anger about a dad who didn't play with me. I see purpose in my background, and I believe God can use that background, and I believe he has already. I believe that God put me in that background, and I'm okay with that. I actually, as much as I can, try to keep in contact with my brothers and sisters. My younger brother calls me regularly, the one who's suicidal, and I can't get an edge word in edgewise with him because he talks, 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 talks. Carol asks, well, what were you talking about? Oh, my goodness, I have no idea what we just talked about for the last hour and a half. So... How do you explain all of this about me? How is it that I can say with passion and purpose that I love you, Carol, I love you, Lindsay, Matthias, Erica, daily, and feel that for my own family? Why aren't I like the rest of my family? Why was I chosen? 
I did not earn it, and as I've already said, I didn't even pray for it as a young child. There is no explanation except one. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I am so glad that God gave me a new heart. And he put a new spirit in me and he removed from me that heart of stone that I had and he gave me a heart of flesh. And that's why I'm here right now standing before you. That's why I'm an elder at Hope Community. This is what I believe and what my passion is, my God story. This is why I love seeing people grow up in their faith and why it's good to mentor and why it's good to speak to other men about the struggles that they're going through and why my wife, why I married my wife to be honest, strong empathy. She's the director of Hope House here. And I needed somebody like that in my life to be able to help me talk through a lot of this stuff. It's my passion to be able to see people and to tell them that regardless of where you've come from, right? If you seek God and you diligently guard your heart, you can overcome. God will give you the grace to be able to move forward. And that is my message, the core of the message this morning that I believe God wants you to hear through my personal story and through Ezekiel. You can have a changed heart. Your heart of stone can move to be a heart of flesh. And I know it seems like sometimes that it's a struggle. And it is a struggle. I've been through this as well, and I'm going through it right now. I have to keep the commands of Solomon, don't I? Solomon had it all at one time, and yet he failed. This is a journey that we're on here, Hope Community. It's an opportunity for us to say, yeah, yeah, I've fallen, but I'm getting back up. Satan, you can't lie to me. God said, above all else, guard your heart, and he means it. Hope Community, above all else, guard your heart. If you felt in some way, some shape today, that, uh, you know what, I can relate to what you're saying, Stan. In my heart, I feel that heart of stone, and it's melting right now. You know who's talking to you? The same person who talked to me when I was in a big tractor tire, and I said, Lord, take over. I did the ABCs backwards, just like Pastor Steve says often. I confessed that I'm a sinner. I believed with all of my heart that there's only one way to break this heart of stone, and that was through Jesus and his sacrifice. And then finally, I accepted that. I accepted him personally. I said, God, I believe in the historical Jesus, and I took that leap of faith, and I said, from now on, I'm following you. If that's a prayer that you have in your heart right now, you have an opportunity, just like I did so many years ago, to be able to say, I accept you, Lord, and I want you. And you know what? I'll be down here after the songs. There'll be a couple people on the prayer a team being down here, and they want to pray with you too. They want to say, welcome. For others of us, you want to say, you know what? I hear you too, Stan, and I've accepted Christ a long time ago. He has been my historical Savior. And I hear what you're saying, and I want to get back on the road. I want more than anything, right where I'm at, starting right now, to start that journey of that heart again. I want to, above all else, guard my heart. If you've got prayer requests in that manner whatsoever, moms, dad, grandmas, grandpas, whatever age you are, you can come right on down. The prayer team will be with you too. It's a great and grand journey. Let's go ahead and pray now. <clears throat> Father, you, above all else, 
above all else, deserve the praise for my life. And that is why you've put me here. To say thank you in front of everyone publicly that you have saved me for no inexplainable reason other than for your glory and for your passion. We thank you, Lord. I just thank you so much publicly right here that you took me out of a situation where I know without you, I would be doomed. I'm a goner. And we all feel that. We feel that passionate pursuit of you tugging at us. Father, hold on tight to the hearts here. Speak to us now as we sing these last two songs. Speak to us and move mightily in your presence. In your name, amen.